Well, this morning we have a challenge before us, and that is to handle a portion of Scripture that is, for most of us, um, somewhat outside of our experience on several fronts. And uh, as a pastor approaching a passage like this, you ask the Lord for some insight into that, and he tends to just throw it at you. And that's what I got this week. So I got it thrown at me. Um, not anywhere near what we have here, but uh, from our perspective in our comfortable little lives, uh, had enough uh, problems to deal with throughout this latter half of this week. Um, but you ask God for ministry, and you ask God to demonstrate himself to you, and he promises to do that. And so we uh, had lots to pray for this week uh, and uh, rejoice in, as well as uh, be concerned about. But God has been good, as always, for the Lord is good. And so we come to a text that um, has a little more substantial meaning when we approach it from that venue of looking at this through all that the world can throw at us, that the evil one can throw at us, that just the fact that we live in a world tainted by sin and its consequence of death, that all that it throws at us, that we either allow it to conquer us or we turn to God and we tell it to Jesus Christ and we look for opportunity rather than shrink away into the shadows of our Christian faith. We rather stride boldly into his service. And this was the choice that laid before the early church, this leadership specifically Peter and John, as they had just been taken into custody, spent the night in jail, brought before the religious leaders of their day, threatened and told to stop doing and being what God had told them to do and be. And we have saw last week their response to those leaders who said, we don't want to hear the name of Jesus again coming out of you. And we talked about the necessity that, that we see of speaking Christ's name, that we see in our society, in our culture, the same attitudes that we saw here among the leadership, that they are resistant to it, even when confronted with truth, even when confronted with evidence that is undeniable, they resist it. And that in that case, they respond by wanting to blot the name out. They can't deny the evidence. They just want you to go away. We find now, what is the church's response? We saw their response to the leadership, to those that wanted them to be quiet. That we simply reiterate to them that God is our judge. We're going to do what's right before him. Period. Now, what does the church do in response to one another? Within the context of that kind of threat or that kind of a pressure being put on us to quiet down, to soften our message, to just go away. Well, we want to see that here in our verses before us, verses 23 and following. Before we do so, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Our gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love for us, for the opportunity to look in your word and for the... Uh, teaching that it has for us, and Lord, we need it, and we acknowledge that, and we depend upon your Spirit this hour. To instruct us, to guide us into truth, but Lord, we also know that we need to bring with us ready minds, that we need to lay before you tender hearts, that you might work in them. And so, Lord, we pray for you to be in, in our midst, 
and to find such lives represented here where that is lacking. That you might uh, exert your power there, demonstrate it to us. Lord, again, as always, we pray you might guard this time. That it might be your truth from your word. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, they were let go. Having spent the night in jail with the three of them, Peter, John, and the man who was leaping and walking and praising God in the temple, the man who was healed, we now find them let go out of prison, having been threatened at this point. It's going to get just more severe as we go through the book of Acts. That threatening is going to turn into beatings. It's going to turn into martyrs. It's going to um, uh, turn into a dispersion of the church in amongst the Roman Empire. Uh, But here, it was pretty minimal, but it was very real. And I want to remind you that the people that they are dealing with, those who are severely threatening them, are the same individuals who about two months earlier crucified our Lord. So let's not take this so lightly. We are dealing with the same people, and they're dealing again on a scale that we don't appreciate very often, for it is unlikely that we have really ever encountered in our Christian walk what it means to be severely threatened for simply communicating and living out our faith before men. That being said, I want to challenge you that we're going to talk about a word that isn't liked very much in our day and age, and that word is boldness. Uh, We saw it there that uh, Peter and John were noted for their boldness. Um, They were noted that uh, while they were untrained and, and uneducated men, They'd been with Jesus, and they could boldly stand before the Sanhedrin and go toe-to-toe with them with uh, no problems. And now we come to verse 23, and it's going to be no surprise that when the church gathers together, they want to hear a report. And that's just what happens. They gather with their own companions. Uh, that would be the early church there, the, the leadership group, perhaps more focused on the uh, 120 uh, and among those 120, you got to think about some pretty interesting characters there. Uh, remember, the mother of Jesus is still around. Uh, you still have a guy named Lazarus, I'm pretty sure, just lives over in Bethany. He's around, I'm pretty sure, the guy that was dead for a few days and then came back to life. Uh, his sisters, Mary and Martha. Uh, so you've got an interesting group of people there that are their companions. And so they report what happened, that they were threatened by the chief priests, the elders, Remember that these were, by and large, Sadducees. Um, The larger group, the Sanhedrin that was gathered together the next day, um, would have been a mixed group of Sadducees and Pharisees, but the high priest apparently sided with the Sadducees. We find that out really later on uh, in chapters 5 and 6, where they are united with the Sadducees, that that sect of Judaism. Um, But we find that the elders are there, and they've been threatened and let loose. They give a report of this. And so their companions, the, the, the core church, if you will, it says in verse 24, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. Now, so far, we're okay with that. Yeah, if, uh, if my, if my, uh, contacts, if my coworkers, if my society, if my leadership tells me to hush up, settle down, quiet down, that I'm going to raise my voice against them. It doesn't say that. It says they raise their voice to the Lord. And, of course, in our mind, if we were to finish this verse without having read it earlier, we would have said, well, we have a complaint. But that's not what this prayer is all about. This is not a prayer of complaint, not whatsoever. They're raising their voice to God to praise Him and rejoice in Him and to make a request from Him. It is a twofold request that we're going to get to, uh, very simple and straightforward, but it is couched in a full description of who they're dealing with and why it is that we can trust God so implicitly. And so we come into this prayer, and it begins by reminding that we're talking, dealing with the God. Lord, you are God. 
You're the one who created all things. That is, that you made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. This is your world. This is your work. It, we, do not, we are not the possessors of it, and that's going to really come out next week a lot more when we get into finishing chapter 4 and verses 32 and following about ownership. Um, Lord, this is your world. You made it, and you made everything that inhabits it. All the things that are in this earth are yours. Every uh, part of creation, but also... Um, on a more specific basis, even the workings of the nations that they are coming up against now. And they almost foresee in this prayer time that this is not the worst it's going to get, That and nor is it to the limited extent of where it's going to go, that there's going to be a breadth and a depth to persecution that uh, is going to test them and test God's people throughout time. And I believe we have a testing uh, in a similar fashion, uh, different in nature, but similar in purpose. And so they recognize, first of all, that the Lord is the creator, the God of all, and that he has some servants, and we aren't to neglect them. And so they go into one of his servants, David, who, by the way, would not be qualified to be a pastor of this church. Kind of interesting to think about, huh? Um, given all of that he participated in. And God himself says you're not qualified to build the temple because of all you participated in your life. And yet, David's mouth was opened with the word of the Lord. For he trusted in God. And here is Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Why did the nations rage? And the people plot vain things. Kings of the earth took their stand. The rules were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. They went back into the scriptures that they had before them, realizing that none of the New Testament was written at this point. Uh, they looked into scripture, and what did they see? They saw God clearly declaring his intent, his purposes, his plan. And the plan was that the nations... Uh, Boast, they claim that they can do great things, they, they're gonna throw off God's people, they're going to, uh, destroy the work of God, they're going, whether it was Israel, the nation, uh, whether it was the Messiah, or whether it's now the church, um, they threatened. And essentially this word threatening in, earlier in the passage, that they were severely threatened, comes into this passage here in, in Psalm 2, under the whole idea of the nations raging. That they are really raging not against me and, and not against the church. They're really raging against God. That ultimately that is their problem. Their problem isn't with you. Their problem isn't with me. It isn't with the scriptures. Their real problem is with God um, and his demands. Because he is an absolute. He is an undeniable. Uh, and so they rage against him. They, they plot worthlessly to undo his work. They seek to rob him of his glory, even the glory of creation, and say, no, no, everything that is always was and always will be. Sound familiar? Peter talked about that in his book, that this is what they will claim, and uh, it will be to their own destruction. And so evolution is just our modern uh, version of that same lie. And so the kings of the earth take their stand, and we might look at this apocalyptically towards the end of the age, um, but the disciples saw an application in their day, and we should see that application throughout the church age. That this is going to culminate one day, but that it is an ongoing uh, interest or desire of the nations is to counter the work of God. And the fascinating thing is, while they're trying so hard, so desperately to work against God, they are in fact used by God to accomplish his will that they hate. And this comes into a time of understanding what we've been studying on Sunday night about our relationship with government that by submitting to government we're not acknowledging that they are right. We're not acknowledging that they are holy, that they are good. We're simply acknowledging that they are of God. 
that they possess the authority that God has invested in them, and therefore I have responsibility to be godly before them. And that means to submit to them, to uh, not be lawless, to uh, pray for them. We've seen it throughout 1 Samuel. We've seen it in Romans and 1 Timothy. Uh, we have many uh, instructions in this regard. And here is another body of saints dealing with leadership that is seeking to stop the work of God among men. Let there be no mistake. That's what they're trying to do. We don't want to hear that name again. Put it away. Drop it or be dropped. So yes, authorities have been working against God, raging against Him, plotting against Him, taking a stand against God, even gathering together against God, against the Messiah, against the work of Jesus Christ on behalf of men. And while they do all of that, the psalmist, they cut it off here in their prayer, but the psalmist says the Lord laughs at them. It's just kind of, laughs them to derision. It's like, what are you trying, do you really think that by any mechanisms available to you that you can undo any of the work that I have determined ahead of time to be done? And I wonder how much God laughs in that same way against Christians who sit and wring their hands over authorities in our lives about whether they're doing right or wrong. And, and these are the ones, the authorities that God has put in your life. Whether they're doing right or wrong isn't really relevant to you obeying God's word the question really comes, is God in control? And I don't mean this in a Christian determinism way. I think you guys know that about me, that I don't believe in that, that whatever will be, sera, whatever will be, will be, um, because God's in control, everything has to come out a certain way. No, but there are certain aspects of God's work that he will always be sure to have occur. And that is those that he has promised. That when God has declared such and such to be, it will be. Unless you think that there is a great breadth to that, there really isn't. Um, it is very focused, and we have it narrowed down by these prayers um, to one thing. They did what they thought they could do to try to kill Jesus Christ. They took him. The authorities that existed did uh, rage against you. Um, they took Herod, it took Herod, Pontius Pilate, the, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel. Did they miss anybody? <laughs> you got the Gentiles and the people of Israel. That's everybody. You've got Herod and Pontius Pilate, both the king of uh, Israel uh, and Pontius Pilate, the representative of the Roman government. And so you start off with the Israeli representative, then the Roman representative, the Roman people, and then the Israeli people. This is an ABBA, uh, typical format that a Hebrew would use. And so we find that these have gathered together, just like Psalm says, the rulers are gathered together against the Lord, and these gathered together. Unless you think that they just got away with something or surprised God somehow, we know that's not the case, right? We understand that. Jesus Christ, they tried to kill him several times. And he says, no, it's not time yet. <laughs> I'm going to walk away and you're not going to do anything about it. I'm going to walk right through you guys and you're not going to stop me. Uh, it's because my time isn't here. So when is the time? The time is one that was appointed, was determined ahead of time by the Father. And this is related to us. It says, that they were gathered together not to do their own will, ultimately, although it was their will, because we find that the nations rage, they plot a vain thing, they take a stand. They gather together to be against God. That is their purpose. So, do we trust them? Do we trust our leadership? Do we submit to our leadership when they're gathered against God? Well, they're gathered together, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So they did to Jesus exactly 
what you declared needed to be done to him. You declared who would be involved. You prophetically stated how he would die. He would hang on a tree. Um, you, you described all of his sufferings, Isaiah 53, 52, 54 as well. We have all of it declared by your word, and therefore not any force on heaven or on earth of evil or of good can thwart the purposes of God when he has determined them ahead of time. But lest you think that God has determined every single decision of every man over all the planet, this is not ever described in God's word. It is taking this principle too far, to the extreme, that the Bible never does. Why does God laugh at the nations while they're raging? Well, number one is they can't thwart his determined purpose. And number two is that they are bringing about their own destruction by their choice. They're choosing against that which would save them, bringing about them on them the responsibility of their own choices. And yet, even in the midst of that, God is able to work in the midst of it all to accomplish his purposes. This is a very subtle truth, and it takes some energy on our part to really bring the pieces of this together, and it's very, how do I want to say this, it's very um, tempting for us to run off to this side, where God, you know, decided that you people are going to wear what you're wearing, and that it was God's fault that you were late if you were late, or that you're early if you're early, or if you're cold, that's, this is God's fault. We can go all the way over there onto that extreme, and uh, there's plenty that have done that. We can go over this other extreme where God is kind of uh, disinterested and not engaged at all in the world, and we don't want to be there either. We want to hit that balance, and to come to balanced position requires uh, some subtle thought. It requires some 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 uh, carefulness in our statements of saying what it means and what it doesn't mean. And so God had determined beforehand that the Messiah was to die. He determined beforehand how that was to occur. He shared it. He communicated it through the prophets, how it was going to happen. That it was going to involve not just Israel rejecting her Messiah, but it was going to involve the Gentiles rejecting their Christ. They would all be gathered against him. And so the Lord determined before what was to be done with regard to his son, Jesus Christ. He came with a purpose, and that purpose was to die. I remember as a young man thinking, boy, if only I was back there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and maybe I'd bring along a machine gun from the, from the 1980s, I could save Jesus that wasn't the per- how many of you thought that? Come on, when you're little, boy, those mean people. It's not right. That's my nature speaking. If I were to somehow accomplish that, what would be the end result? God's a liar. Men don't have a savior. The purposes of God will be established and there's no work of men or of Satan that can thwart it. That when God purposes in his heart, that's the way it's going to be. And one of the wonderful statements that God makes in Romans 8 to us is that he has purposed something for us. And that is that he will work all things together for the good of those who are love him and are called according to his purposes. And this is the foundation of this kind of praying is that I can trust, not my government, not my religious leadership, I can trust God. I can trust God with the big picture. I can rely on Him. Does that mean that nothing evil, nothing bad, nothing, no struggle is going to come up? Obviously not. We must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. In fact, He says all things are going to work together for our good. For the good of the saints, of all those called according to his purposes. So I know that that is the determined purpose of God. 
has given us so many other statements throughout the scripture of what he has determined to provide for those who trust in him. And we go through the scripture and, and when we find this word appointed, that he has appointed them to everlasting life, he has appointed them to adoption, he has uh, determined their end. These are the promises of God and they are sure and nothing on heaven and earth can thwart them. And for this we rejoice and it's the foundation of our praying. You see, people that are over here in the Christian determinism camp where, you know, God's in control of everything, you know, that bug flew into my eye because God wanted it to. Um, and then I crashed into that person and flipped the car and, you know, what? And now God is responsible for all of it. We come over here and the struggle that we have is that why pray? I pray over here. God's already determined from eternity past everything that's going to happen with every event, so why am I engaging him? There is no foundation for praying once you get over to this extreme. None. God's in control. The best I can do is say, well, Lord, I don't know why you did that. I guess I'll figure it out someday. I, I believe you controlled that and you made that terrible thing happen and you made those people spit at me and you made those people, you know, kill my friend. You made this this happen. We end up with Christian determinism all over the place. Why pray? If you go to the other extreme, it invalidates prayer as well. If you come over here and God really isn't engaged at all, why pray to him? Why pray? He wound the clock, set it on the shelf, and walked away. Why pray? He's not going to be active. He's not going to be engaging. He's not going to make a difference. So, you know, we're kind of on our own here to figure things out. You see, both extremes, once we become unbalanced, one of the key factors is that it affects every facet of our Christian life, not just our theology, but our practice. And I find a lot of incongruency between people's doctrine and their practice that they sit there and pray. And I was like, why are you praying? You believe God made everything happen. And so when you sin, you think God made you sin. He didn't keep me from sinning, so he must have wanted me to sin that way. Really? But that's where it goes. Just keep walking that road. Walk this road. No reason to pray either. God's uninvolved. See, a balanced doctrine brings in, now we understand the absolute necessity of prayer. That God has determined what he has declared. And we have throughout God's word, and this is why you should really know this book, uh, you should read it, um, because these are the declared determinations of God. He has stated, this is what's going to happen. The Messiah will be born at just the right time in Bethlehem of Ephrathah. Um, he will um, die just the way I say he's going to die, hanging on a tree. Um, Jerusalem is going to fall. That is very clearly declared, and that's going to get Stephen into trouble in just a couple of chapters, about three weeks from now. It's going to get Stephen into trouble, right? Because he's going to sit there and say, well, this temple's a goner because God determined it. And we have some of those statements that are not just historical. We have some in our future that God says, this is the way it's going to be. And it's high time that Christians prayed this kind of praying and just said, Lord, um, you have determined by your hand ahead of time certain things, that there are certain facets of history that God has established and therefore, they are the, the, the posts, they are the, 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 the guides for us of all the rest of the events of the world. Um, they are set to these posts. Among them, we know that God has declared a lot of prophetic information back here in the back of our New Testament, as well as in the prophets of the Old Testament, that we still haven't seen. But they are sure. And Satan himself can't stop them from happening. No wicked government can stop them from happening. No well-intending Christian voting block can keep them from happening. Okay? Yes, I would love to be able to take a few 
you know, if I was still 10 years old, um, that I could just stop all the evil if we could just blow them all up. Well-intending Christians trying to affect the nations. The outcome is determined. We already know how this thing's going to end because God has declared it. And once God declares something, then it is an established, determined thing that cannot be swayed. And he has declared these things in his word. And so they are dependable. They are immovable, unchangeable, for he has declared them. The principles of God have been declared. That if you believe, having repented of your sins and trust in Christ Jesus as your Savior, this is the salvation package you will get. It will be the same one that everyone else gets. This Holy Spirit will reside within you. Uh, you have this access in the Holy of Holy place, uh, which is called prayer. Um, you have all these wonderful blessings. You have eternity in his presence, not as his servants, but as his, as his sons, as his children, co-heirs of Jesus Christ. This is the package that God has presented you, that your sins are gone, and so much more that we've already studied. That's God's determination. He has proclaimed it, and it is unchangeable. So the nations can't thwart it. They can't stop it. They can try, but it's just utter foolishness. And neither can we. We can think that we can manipulate God's word and finagle our theology that permits us to somehow decide that there is no place of eternal punishment, that there are multiple ways to get to heaven, that it's okay for everybody to believe whatever they want, that there's windows instead of just one door. You cannot change the declarations of God. His declared purposes are established, immovable. But do not confuse that with an idea that God is making everything happen that's happening. He will work in what's happening to accomplish something good, and just as he worked through these evil men who wanted to not just kill Christ, they wanted him to suffer. They were murderers. But God used it to deliver you and me from our sin. Remember? You crucified him. God raised him from the dead. Doesn't say God made you crucify him. You crucified him. God raised him from the dead. God took a work that he knew you would do, given the opportunity, and he made it something wonderful and good for the rest of humanity by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. So God does not make the evil happen to us. And so I look at my week, and, and I'm pretty sure that God did not make, um, oh, where should I start? Daniel Gonzalez's clutch thing go bad in rush hour traffic. I'm pretty sure that that's just the result of things wearing out in this old world. But I'm glad that I was able to get up there, and and I don't know why we had to go the long way to get to his house, because I can't. Remember things that Edith becomes some other road. Broadway. Yeah, I couldn't remember that. So we went all, we drove all over town with me towing him. Do I sit there and say, well, God, why did you let this happen to me? And that was Thursday morning, and by Thursday afternoon, I'm getting another call, and, and poor Elizabeth Schweiger gets T-boned in an intersection trying to find her doctor's office, and she's in the emergency room. God, why did you let that happen? Was that something he declared? No. It was her error, and she was at a two-way and thought she was at a four-way and stopped and went. And that's not going to work very good when there's trucks driving across the road. But I have a confidence that God is good and will be at work in these circumstances to 
benefit us ultimately. Then after spending a good part of the evening in the emergency room up there at Rust, boy, that's an incredible place. It's not like any emergency room I've ever been to before. I come home and manage to get ill. I think it was the emergency room. It just doesn't sit well with me. And there I am puking and other nasty things. My family's, of course, out there having ice cream and apple things and laughing and I'm dying. I could have died. And they were just having a party. And there I am, laid out, and I get a phone call from my mom. Dad's gone. He's passed in the glory. I could say, oh, why, why, why does it all have to happen? No. Why did God make that happen? No. No. This is not the extent of the determinations of God. He did not make all these things happen. Sin makes these things happen. Men make these things happen. Uh, Evil makes these things happen. And yet God, we can trust to work in the midst of it to do for us what is to our benefit. That ultimately I can preach better. I can minister better. and, And fundamentally that's what it comes down to. And these men's praying is, Lord, We know that you wanted your son to die. You declared it in your word way back there, exactly how it was going to happen. The the nations were going to rage and they're going to, they're going to seek to, to come against you. They're going to take a stand. They're going to gather against your Christ, your holy one. They're going to put him on a tree. They're going to crucify him. But you would raise him from the dead. And so, Lord, we know that, that was your determined purpose and they did exactly what you determined needed to be done. Does that mean he made every choice for them? No, but he would not be thwarted in that choice. And so no matter how many times Pontius Pilate gets up there and says, I find no fault in him, no matter how many times that gets said, it's irrelevant. Because God says now's the time. He must die. It's the Passover. I established that way back there in Moses' day. Exactly what day Jesus would die. God established it at the first Passover. It was determined. The Jews didn't want to do it. Think about that. Pontius Pilate did not want to crucify Christ, yet Christ was crucified. The Jews did not want to do any of this during the Holy Week, yet they did it during the Holy Week. You ever think about all that? And it was all precipitated by one of his disciples trying to help out the situation, move the thing along. A guy named Judas. I just wonder how many times Christians get in the way. But maybe he's too bad on Judas. He was determined to be that role, yet the responsibility for what he chose to do was on his own head. So God has determined things, and he has declared his determinations his purposes in this word. And we need to be careful that we limit that to those declarations. Now, with those declarations in hand, with that knowledge that these same men who just threatened us severely um, crucified our Lord because God's purposes were accomplished in that. You can't resurrect someone who hasn't been killed. Now we can pray our prayer of requests. We have laid out a foundation of who God is, of the work of Jesus Christ, of of how he works among men, this this very balanced approach, which is why we can function here. And so we come to verse 29 and 30, and we have the requests. Now, Lord, look on their threats. You notice they did not say make their threats go away, deliver us from their threats. They just said, just remember those. Look upon them. Record them. That is, God, these are the same people who crucified your son and we're ready to finish, fill up the sufferings of Christ in us. We're certainly more than willing to do that. 
You look upon their threats, and those threats are going to uh, become action, and they're going to take some force behind them, and people are going to start dying. That's the reality. Their statement is, Lord, you look on their threats. You take care of that end of it. Because the nations are your authorities. The religious leaders of Israel, they're your authorities. You look to them. Looking on them, you accomplish your purposes there because they're your nations, but we are your declared servants. And so uh, we want you to, you to look on them and grant to your servants, to us, deliverance, right? Please save us from them. Come on, isn't that what we pray? Do you know the big movement on Christian radio right now? We're trying to get this pastor in Iran out of prison. Did we, did we accomplish it yet? I haven't listened for a long time. And uh, they're going through the UN and they're going through all these things and they're trying to get this pastor out of prison in I'm pretty sure it's Iran. Um, but he went there to share the gospel against the law and he got arrested. Uh, these people aren't praying for deliverance. They aren't praying for it to go away. They aren't praying to be released. They aren't praying for any of that. They said, Lord, you look to the leadership. You look to them. And, and our response to way, the way, direction our nation is going and our culture is going is just come to God and say, God, um, you're the one laughing at the nations. You have your determined purposes, and we know what those are because you declared them here. We know how this story ends, don't we? So, Lord, you look onto them. <laughs> you take care of them. And whether it's by judgment or whether they turn their hearts to you, you look to them. But now, as far as your servants go, here's what we need. Lord, keep us bold. And that is, drive the fear of them out of our hearts and replace it here with a fear of you. Think about who you're praying to. The God who created the heavens, the earth, and everything in them. The one who laughs at nations that rage against him. The one that as much as they fight against him have to accomplish what he wants. As much as the man of sin tries not to be the man of sin, he will be the man of sin. As much as the beast that comes out of the land will not want to be the beast that comes out of land, it will be the beast that comes out of the land. It will accomplish the things that God has declared that will be accomplished. We can rely upon it. Because God's declared it, and there's nothing that any man for right or wrong intentions can do to stop it. So, Lord, we don't fear them. So give us boldness. Guard us from fearing these that are there. And instead, that with all boldness we may speak your word. And here's the evidence they wanted that hour, that period of time particularly with reference to the apostolic age and, and especially with uh, the Israel who was supposed to look for these signs. It says, By stretching out your hand to heal, the signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And this was their request. Lord, we want not to be afraid. And that's what it means to be bold, to have no fear. I don't want to be afraid. I know that my boss can fire me. I know that my neighbors can hate me and egg my house. I know that my friends can unfriend me on Facebook. I know that that these people can, my family could disinherit me. I know all those things. But Lord, help me not to be afraid of them because you're the one who is the maker of heaven and earth and all that is in them. And that you are the one who has determined a purpose. And that purpose for the Christian's life is to glorify him through obedience to righteousness and to minister their request was, Lord, we don't want to lose our ministry. With all boldness, let us keep going. Give us your might to be bold in this place, in this time, with all these threats against us that were very real. These were not idle. These were very real threats. Lord, give me boldness. By the end of verse 31, 
The result is almost predictable, I think. It says, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Almost as if they couldn't wait till the next time. (laughs) And it's not going to take very long, by the way. We're going to be, let's see here. Before chapter 5 is done, they're going to be imprisoned again, a bunch of them. And they're going to get beaten up. But they're going to be bold. Lord, take away the fear of man, the fear of nations, the fear of what they could do to us. Just take that away from us because our trust is in you. And you're going to accomplish your purposes. And if it means that I need to die, then so be it. If it means that I have to endure whatever I have to endure, um, so be it. I'm ready to trust you regardless of what happens in my life. Whatever evil men seek to do against me, I know that I need to persevere, endure it, because I have an eternal city waiting for me. And I have a good God that is working through me and through the circumstances to do what is good, not only for me, but for all who love him and are called according to his purposes. And if the best thing for all is for me to suffer or to die, then so be it. You see, we are sure that we want to undo the nations. And yeah, it would be wonderful to be in a planet that all the nations surrender to God and in the fashion of Nebuchadnezzar uh, when he finally surrendered Babylon to God of Daniel. Oh yeah, that would be wonderful. But it's not the declared purposes of God, is it? We know where this thing's going to end. That the one time that all nations will serve one king in righteousness will be in Christ's kingdom. And we know what it takes to get from here to there, don't we? We are a little familiar with that, aren't we? Not that the world's going to get better and better and better until Christ just has to come because we all want him. No. That's post-millennialism, by the way. No. Recognition that men will be standing and raging against the Holy One, against the Christ. They'll take their stand and they will face the King of kings and Lord of lords who comes not as a child in a manger, but comes on a steed with a rod of iron ready to judge the nations. He's not coming applauding. He's coming in wrath. And so I don't need to fear that because I know where it's going to go. I know what God has said is going to be accomplished there. And now my prayer to God is, Lord, help me in the midst of this environment to be bold, to be fearless in my ministry. And i got to tell you something about the Christian community right now. We are fearsome. And I don't mean that by this. I mean we are full of fear. And our society has drilled it into us that our conversation needs to be politically correct all the time. We walk around in eggshells. Just try to write a letter to the editor complaining about how many articles they have on same-sex marriages and see how far it's going to get you. See what the response is going to be the next few weeks to your letter saying, how can you keep displaying this perversity on every front page? It's on the sports page. It's on the home and garden page. It's on the front page. It's on the op-ed page. It's every page. Write a letter complaining about it. What do you think is going to happen? Come on, you know what's going to happen. You're going to have one big word tattooed on you and it's going to be hater. Correct? Out of fear of being labeled that, we'll keep our mouths shut. And as soon as our mouths are shut, the name of Jesus isn't heard. But he stands for righteousness. And it is the hope of mankind. And so, full of fear, we simply step back and stop. We do exactly what we shouldn't do, the exact opposite. And so, this prayer for boldness is a real one, and it needs to be ours still today. Uh, Lord, the nations still rage. 
They still plot against us and against you. They still, still take a stand against righteousness. They still gather together against Christ. Nothing's changed. And so give us that boldness to be willing to confront them, to speak the word of God under the filling of the Holy Spirit. And this is what God calls us to in season and out of season. This is the kind of praying that leads to ministry. Lord, we want to minister. And that's to your saints as well as to the world. That requires us to not be afraid of all the world says to be quiet. Keep it to yourself. Oh, that God would give us boldness. Not because it's easy, but because it's right. Because it's the only hope for mankind. And God answers their request very quickly in verse 31. He says, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Spoke the word of God, boldness. Um, I don't know if this happened very often. In fact, when it gets more and more serious, you don't find this description of their prayer time, with the exception maybe of when the earthquake got Peter out of jail. Um, we don't find that description. So let's not base whether or not God's heard our prayers, whether our place is shaken or not, but whether our hearts tremble before the one true and living God. He has made everything and everything that is in this world. He laughs at the nations. He has his determined purposes that will happen with or without your help. But within the context of those declarations, there's opportunity for you to pray that God use you and me. And so between his declaration that this is going to happen to his son and the declaration that one day he will return and reign over the nations, um, there are opportunities. And within the foundation of those opportunities for ministry are your choices. Are we going to pray like this and ask for boldness from the Lord that we can serve Him faithfully in the midst of this all? Or are we going to shrink away into the shadows of our faith and bury our talents knowing we have a tough master and I don't want to lose what I got? What foolishness. Let's go and take our faith to the bank and multiply it with this kind of praying.